so much. God bless all of you so much. Good evening, everybody. God bless you. Please be seated. Sir Bishop Clark and Pastor Renee Clark, whom we so honor and revere. And uh, don't take the relationship lightly. We, we greet you this evening, and uh, we've been praying for you. And, uh, of course, Bishop will be with us in Zimbabwe next week. Uh, all things uh, going well, you know. Um, it's not the law of the Medes and the Persians, but all things going well. Uh, and, of course, to... Uh, of course, Pastor Clark and, and Junior and, and Lindsay, who is looking Cleopatra-ish this evening, and their wonderful family, of course, to Ryan and Kara, Pastor Damon and Sister Christina, also to uh, so many people that we, we recognize. You know, I, I wore a pair of voices for Willie today. And Jackie, and of course the whole family, all of you incredible people. Bill, thank you so much for your usual kindness, and Kirk and Bren, and just all you all. Good evening, everybody. We so counted and honored to be with you. And uh, we had a, a really good time uh, this morning, the Triumph Campus. Also, I want to just, uh, Needland Campus, I want to say to uh, uh, all of you that are here tonight, uh, let's kind of pull, there's something in the air here, there's just, something's happening. Of course, Dreen is with us, Dreen's now in Zimbabwe, traveling a little bit with us, and uh, uh, we're going to be a little bit more at home, but uh, we have four sons, and Dreen's the oldest of the four. Dreen is our first attempt, <laughs> so he's with us. Let's go to Zechariah chapter number 9, and verse 12, Zechariah 9, verse 12. Good to see you, Brother Ryan. Brother Marshall, God bless you. Of course, Sister Marshall had a word for me this morning, which I was so needing, and I knew it was coming. Let's go to Zechariah 9, verse 12. 9, verse 12. Starting from now. Turn you to the stronghold, you prisoners of hope. Even today do I declare that I will render double unto you Turn you to the stronghold, you prisoners of hope. Even today do I declare that I will render double unto you. Turn you to the stronghold, you prisoners of hope. Even today do I declare that I will render double unto you. Father, please help me in Jesus' name. Amen. Um, right at the end of the service, that's the first time I figured out where the drums were. I was looking for them. I thought, where, where are these drums, man? You know, I knew you were good, but I didn't know you were that good, you know. <laughs> Amen. I'm so thrilled that you're getting your new building. It, it's too small, but thank God that uh, it's, it's here. Amen. Uh, I'm going to preach to you on the subject this evening, prisoners of hope. Prisoners of hope. Please say that. Come on, come on. Say prisoners of hope. Prisoners of hope. Say I'm a prisoner of hope. The book of Zechariah is a very powerful book, and it's placed in an interesting place. But Zechariah chapter number 9, verse 12 in particular, is what I would call a preacher's delight, that verse. Because in that verse, there are actually seven messages or seven titles in Zechariah chapter 9 and verse 12. The first one is turn. The second one is the strongholds. 
The third one there, which I'll preach to you, prisoners of hope. The uh, fourth is when God does something today, even today. And the fifth one is uh, do I declare when God declares a thing? And, of course, number six, I will render when God brings recompense and brings justice. And then number seven, double, when God gives you double. And so you could spend a whole season just on that one verse. Uh, but from number three, prisoners of hope. The book of Zechariah is placed in, in a cluster of books that, uh, to make it easy for us to study the Bible in what is called the minor prophets. Preceding that, of course, you have the uh, Pentateuch, which are the five books that Moses wrote, Pent five, uh, which are writings, Moses' five writings from Genesis to Deuteronomy. And it's in these books that you have the genesis of things, the etymology, the beginning of a thing that reveals the intent of God for anything. Uh, be, because based on the environment and culture that Israel was in, there was no need for Moses to expound on a particular thought or idea because they understood that. And so uh, if, if, if you said, for example, uh, I shouldn't be taking this time, but if you said uh, barbecue in Texas, there'd be no need to explain that <laughs> because everybody knows that. But if you said barbecue in Zimbabwe, then you may have to explain it and go through the whole smoking process and da-da-da. And so many times in the writings of Genesis and, and Exodus and and ultimately the other books, Moses would mention something for the first time, and we just leave it alone because people understood it. And then the second classification of books is historicity, which are the classes of books that record history, not in a very good way, I must say, uh, because the object of, of that is not to give historical commentary because there are many overlapping events, but the, the object is to, to build contiguous faith in, in the readers. And so this begins now uh, from the book of Joshua all the way to the book of Job, which is uh, initially Job, supposed to be the first book that was written, said to be written by Moses as a work of faith that somebody that's been in captivity came out of captivity and God blessed. And so it said that Moses wrote the book of Job to anchor the children of Israel as they were coming out of slavery. It's neither here nor there. It's in the Bible anyway. And then we have the poetic books, Psalms all the way through to the wonderful writings of Solomon. And then major prophets, not because they were uh, major as prophets, is that their books were larger, and of course you know this. And then the minor prophets. Zechariah is included in the montage of minor prophets. He's the second last prophet to be recorded uh, in our physical Bible, just before Malachi. And uh, he is a really interesting individual. He writes to... to a group of individuals that, that uh, were, were slaves. It's called pre-exilic slavery. Uh, his father or his, his mentor was Hagar. Hagar was a part of a very significant team that I must mention here. This team that Hagar was a part of was a team that had been assembled by Nehemiah, who was a cupbearer. And, and, and when Nehemiah was called uh, out of the court's uh, of, of the king of Babylon uh, by the Holy Spirit to rebuild the city of Jerusalem. This has be, was as a direct result of two major prophets praying. Daniel, the first one, who, who prayed and believed uh, that God was going to reverse the plight of, of the Jews after 70 years of slavery. And Ezekiel, who, as Sarah sang, prophesied to the Valley of Dry Bones. 
those two forces prophetically, and Nehemiah was mobilized, and he came to Jerusalem, not as a builder, but as somebody who handled wine, which is metaphoric for being able to work very uh, uh, ably with the things of the spirit, because wine means spirit. Anytime you read the word vine, it implies that it's a working of the spirit. And so Nehemiah then has a gathering anointing. He has the ability to bring together, uh, firstly, Zerubbabel the king, and brings a definitive structure to his rulership as king. He brings Ezra the prophet, whose role is at that time, Ezra the scribe, rather, whose role is that time to, to bring uh, a balance to what was being taught. Because during the years of slavery, uh, the Jews were not allowed to go to Jerusalem three times a year as the scripture required them in Leviticus 23 and in Deuteronomy 16. They could not go back to Jerusalem to worship three times a year. And so provision was made for them to create what is called a synagogue. And when Sabbath began, Friday evenings all the way through to Saturday, uh, they would gather together lighting their candles and, and, and worshipped in Babylon, 120 provinces uh, of that empire. And many of the men that were trained, uh, rather many of the men that were leading synagogues, which were basically house groups, uh, were not trained in, in the priestly ministry. They were ill-trained. They, they had uh, no uh, uh, a clear vision or, or visualization of what the scripture meant. Neither did they understand the intent of God uh, through what we would call, what they called the Torah and the Talmud. And so many of these on-the-spot preachers, as it were, began to give their own interpretations of what they felt Moses intended. And so when this bunch came back to Israel, a whole bunch of them, all these are preachers and wannabe preachers and something, uh, Ezra then had to set this, the tone for what has to be preached and the way it has to be preached. And so the word pulpit is mentioned just twice, once in the Bible, in the book of Ezra, where Ezra raised a pulpit of wood and, and raised the standard and in essence was saying, this is the standard by which we're going to preach this word or teach this word. And the scripture is very clear uh, uh, that, that um, of course, Ezra is the father of hermeneutics, which is the standard by which scripture should be interpreted and understood. And so Nehemiah brings Ezra to the table. He brings, uh, 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 he brings Joshua the high priest, uh, who is going to be the first priest after the fall of, of Babylon into Jerusalem. And in chapter number three of the book of Zechariah, you see Joshua the high priest confronted by Lucifer, the demonic angel. It's one of the very few places you'll see Lucifer appearing in the scriptures. That's one of them. And the Lord had to come in and rebuke the devil to let Joshua have access into the, the place of glory. So Joshua comes to the table, all the priests, and Hagar the prophet, who is a very stern, uh, uh, choleric prophet, who is coming to correct Israel in, in the way they function. And Hagar's challenge was, uh, if you'll allow me just to spend a couple of minutes on this little intro, Hagar's challenge was that uh, he was dealing with uh, two different mindsets. And so what happened was when, when, when Hagar said the glory of the latter house, referring to the temple that they were building then, will be greater than the glory of the former house, uh, th there was a, a frightening comparison here because there were some of the older fellows that were teenagers when they went to slavery. And they remembered Solomon's temple. They remembered the, the glorious uh, quality and presentation of Solomon's temple. They spent over a trillion American dollars, as it were, on one temple. And they remembered, remembered its splendor. 
And when they saw the shack going up that they called a temple, they, they were wondering, what does he mean that the glory of the latter house shall be greater than the former? And what he was saying in essence is that Solomon's temple was built in a time of freedom. It was built in a time when his father gave him several billion, several trillion dollars uh, to build the temple. It didn't cost him anything. And he had masons and, 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 and different kingdoms invest in that project. He said, but this one was built out of, of hard-earned dollars during a difficult recession uh, when, when, they, when there were no resources, when there was no support. And so the very fact that this uh, appreciation for a hard-earned dollar has put up this structure within itself should be more appreciated. The glory of earning this is greater than if it was given free. And, and many of you would understand that because of some of your struggles in life. If you're just given stuff, it doesn't mean too much. But if you earn it, it means a whole lot more. There's a difference between ownership and renting. The owner looks after their stuff. They don't go over speed humps uh, because they know that they have to pay for shocks if they do. I can usually tell guys that are driving rental cars in Houston. <laughs> and so Hagar then has to say, it's not about the money. The silver is mine, says the Lord, and the gold is mine. Uh, because everybody was kind of like worried. And, and this is the mindset he was having to deal with here uh, because uh, many of these people that came back from Israel, you know, because people can, 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 can spin a story. You know, it, it's like, uh, oh, man, if, if you come to the Galleria in Houston, you know, it, it has this and that and, and this. And then when you get there, you wonder, you know, I mean, you know what is that all about? Uh, and so... These people that were in slavery were hearing about Jerusalem. What an, an incredible place it was and, and uh, what God had done there. And many of these slaves, when they came out of Babylon, they came to Jerusalem, they were like scratching their head. And they were saying within themselves, you know, we are some of the worst of the slaves. And we're better than the best of the free. And, and, and you know, look at our clothes and look at our bling. And, and, and look at, you know... The, the, the cheap Camry we're driving, these guys are still, you know, in old Toyota Mazdas and Corollas. And, and, and look at our secondhand Mercedes Benz that we have. And, and as slaves, we better off than the guys that are free. And so Hagar then had to come in and bring corrective measures to correct the mindset. To say here that this is the time to build and to invest in what God is doing. And, and so Hagar has along with him a young prophet whose name is Zechariah, who is the protege. He's being mentored by this old stern man. And it's this Zechariah that writes uh, phenomenal scriptures. He writes in Zechariah 1, where he says that Jerusalem will be inhabited as cities. And there'll be a wall of fire. Not the wall you built of stone for 52 days, but a wall of fire. Chariots of fire will be around because God is going to protect you. In other words, there'll be no longer an attack from external forces as the Babylonians attack you. It is in Zechariah where he says that we've been scattered. You know, the horns came and scattered us, but the craftsmen have come to put us together. It is in Zechariah 3, as I mentioned before, that Joshua, the high priest, confronted, uh, was confronted by Lucifer. In Zechariah 4, he writes one of the most famous scriptures in the Bible. Not by might, not by, not by might, not by power, but by my spirit, says the Lord, because they were asking, how is this going to be done? And a several litany of scriptures that are listed. And then he comes to this particular scripture and says, Turn you to the stronghold, you prisoners of hope. For I declare that today I will render double unto you. The choice of the word prisoner is very interesting there. Because these people had just come out of 70 years of slavery. They were prisoners for 70 years. 
Some of them were born in slavery. They knew nothing else but slavery. And the last thing they wanted to hear was incarceration. The last thing they wanted to hear was the word prisoner. But, but he's going to tie this terminology to them because he wants them to understand that within the will of God, once you are bound to it or you are a bond man or bond woman to it, you then become enslaved to it. What would drive a person who, who's tired, uh, uh, flying all day, uh, and then getting into Houston late at night and still want to come here today? It's a prisoner of hope. The prisoner. The prisoner. Doesn't make sense. Take an ambient sleep. Wake up in the next century. But, but, but there's things that drive us because we are prisoners of hope. Say, I'm a prisoner of hope. No, say it with passion. Say, I'm a prisoner of hope. Tell that lovely person next to say, I'm a prisoner of hope. Prisoner of hope. Now, if they are prisoners of hope, which I'll get to in a minute, then they are prisoners without hope. I'm so glad the new building won't have pillars. Yeah. The... Uh, if they are prisoners of hope, then they are prisoners without hope. Say, I'm a prisoner of hope. So let's talk about the prisoners without hope. There are three classifications of prisoners without hope. And three classes of prisoners of hope. Three classes of prisoners without hope. Three classes of prisoners with hope. The first class of prisoner, and, and what I'll do is I'll go through those, and then I'll deal with the application in our lives. Okay, so the first classification of prisoners without hope. This is the devil and his angels, Lucifer and his angels. This devil and his angels are prisoners without hope. The Bible clearly states, Jesus referred to it several times, that hell is prepared for the devil and his angels. This devil, Lucifer, the word Lucifer, the name Lucifer literally means son of the morning. And that's what he was named, because he was the custodian of revelation knowledge. The Bible says in, in the book of uh, uh, Ecclesiastes 3, that God's mercies are new every morning. So, so every morning, a new revelation for the day. This is the day the Lord has made. We will rejoice and be glad in it. So every day when a new revelation rises, Lucifer was the son of that revelation because he was over praise and worship. He would give God praise. God said, if I was hungry, Psalm 90, I wouldn't tell you. Jesus said, the Father seeks such to worship him because God eats worship. As a human being eats tilapia over lunch, so does God eat something. And God has a, 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 a tremendous appetite. And so that's why there are so many different nations and ethnic groups that each of them are giving God a different style of worship today. And so when I get to heaven, I'm going to spend a few years uh, in the Jamaican sector because I like the way they mix and praise. <laughs> yeah, man. <laughs> and so, so Lucifer is giving God all this. And as he's giving this to God, Mercies are rising every day because he was called son of the morning. The book of Jude says of Lucifer that Michael the archangel would not pass a railing accusation to him because of his rank. So theologians then say that this Lucifer was probably an archangel, and it might be true. And there's several mentions of archangels in the scripture. Uh, and then uh, Ezekiel calls him a cherub, uh, which means he had two wings. Uh, but Paul calls him... Uh, an angel of light. An angel of light is chapter number 6 of Isaiah, which is a seraphim. A seraphim, an angel of light, has six wings. And an angel is, of light is around the throne saying, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord, God Almighty. And the word holy means different. So these angels are saying different, different. Because every time they say that they see something different in God, and they are right in the throne room of light. And Lucifer was an angel of light. And, and so it is said by St. Thomas Aquinas, who wrote the 
Sumra Theology, which is the summary of theology, way back in the uh, 12th century, what he was saying in his writings and from their research along with the Franciscan monks as theologians, they used all kinds of historical commentaries and Jewish manuals, and they actually taught that Lucifer was a super angel which had 12 wings. It's a 12-winged angel. That's why there are 12 tribes and 12 apostles, to match every one of those wing strengths to, to hold him back as he tried to fly. It was this Lucifer that, that was banished from the heavens. Already? That we, I'm talking to dream. <laughs> it was this Lucifer that was banished from the heavens. He was, he was cast out of heaven because he, in his attempted insurrection, in his attempted coup d'etat, God said, you got to go. There's principle versus personality. The greatest of the two is principle. Whenever you're judging a thing, always deal with the principle above the personality. I don't care who you are as a person. If you violate the principle, you got to go. You, you can be the chief justice of the city of Beaumont. If you're speeding down the freeway at 110 miles an hour, the personality has to be subject to the principle. So Lucifer had to go. And the Bible says in Revelation 12, he drew one-third of the angels with him. These angels were banished to the earth as prisoners without hope. And it is taught in, in certain schools and, and schools of thought that this devil and his angels, son of the morning, this glorious being, came with these angels banished to the earth because in the beginning God created the heaven and the earth. So there was only one planet. There were no other planets. It was just the earth. The, the other planets and... and, and what we see in, in, in the firmament, as the Bible says, that only came in Genesis chapter number 1, verse 14 through 18, when God made the sun, the moon, the stars. That only came much later. So there was only one planet. So they came to this planet. And it is taught that when they came here, there was a pre-Adamic race. And this race, whatever they were, received this devil. And then through some sort of interaction and intercourse and, and breeding, the, the, a race was born from these fallen angels forming what is called the demonic world. Demons are the produce of these fallen angels and this race. Lucifer and his fallen angels and the demons are prisoners without hope. These demons, these angels cannot be saved. You can get Reinhard Bonke, you can get the greatest intercessors. They can't pray this devil to be saved. Reinhard can't preach them to be saved. You can get the world's greatest apostles to preach a message. These angels can never be touched. They are prisoners without hope. They are short of that glory. They, they'll never hear a message of repentance. They are doomed to what devils hell. They are prisoners without hope. You can play the best songs in the world, sing the best you can ever sing. We can be moved by the power of the anointing. They are prisoners without hope. You can go on a 141,000-day fast to fast for these things. They are prisoners without hope. They'll never be saved. They'll never be touched. They're gone forever. They are prisoners without hope. Class number two are prisoners without hope. These are people that died without God. From Cain all the way through, they died without God. And, 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 and sometimes these devils and these demons, when, when they possess a person, they, they'll come into a person and bind a person. Sometimes people will die without God. They become prisoners without hope. Uh, if you'll allow me a few little levities here and, uh, 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 just for my presentation, because I wasn't there when certain people died, so I'm going to make a very broad assumption. When Hitler killed six million Jews, uh, I wasn't there when he died. He could have made his life right with God. I'm not sure. I wasn't there. But men like that died as prisoners without hope. 
when Chich and I were in Rome, we went to Nero's Colosseum and Palace. And when we stood there, the historian told us that this Nero, during uh, when his palace was complete, when he would eat in the evenings and they would serve his meals, he would have a seven, eight, ten course meal. And as they'd bring another course to light up his dinner, they would have Christians tied on stakes, dipped in tar, and they'd light them up as he changed courses. He was cruel. He was diabolical. It's men like that that have died as prisoners of the Lord. The Bible talks about Korah, Dathan, and Abiram that rebelled against Moses. And, and they were separated. God said, separate yourself from that bunch. And the earth opened and swallowed them. And the Bible says they went into hell. Chapter number 16 of the book of Luke, there were two men. Jesus talked about Lazarus and a rich man. And they both died. And when the rich man opened his eyes, he was uh, in hell. And he looked up to Abraham's bosom and Abraham said, I can't send Lazarus with a drop of water for your tongue because you are a prisoner without hope. And he said, why don't you send some men, Lazarus, to preach to my brothers? And Jesus said, they have, they have the word. They have Moses and the prophets. But in essence, that man was a prisoner without hope. People that died without God, prisoners without hope. And the third category of prisoners without hope uh, are, are people that don't know Jesus. And please don't think about China or India. Think about your next-door neighbor, the person you work with, the person you interact with, some of our relatives that don't know God. They are prisoners without hope. And until they get saved, they are prisoners without hope. And you might be here today. Somebody just told you that there's a brother that came all the way from Africa. You want to come see what he's wearing. <laughs> and, and, and you're going to be touched by the anointing here because something's going to fall in a minute. And you're going to walk up here and give your heart to the Lord. You're going to be converted. You will, you, will, you will change from being a prisoner without hope to becoming a prisoner of hope. There are three categories of prisoners of hope. The first category of prisoners of, of hope are those that died in God. They died in God. Uh, from righteous Abel. When Abel died, the Bible says he presented a more excellent sacrifice to God. And in the Old Testament, when somebody died with God or in God, in a standard of righteousness, they went to a place called paradise. The thief on the cross said to Jesus, I know you are a man of God. I know you are the son of God. He said, uh, remember me when you come into your kingdom. And Jesus said, today I will be with you in paradise. Paradise was the holding tank for, for, for the righteous. As Gehenna was the holding tank for those that died without God. Or Hades. And so, so, so all the righteous went to a place called paradise. And so uh, uh, when they died, waiting there for, for the Son of God to come, the Son was Jesus. Galatians 4, 4 says, when the fullness of time was come, God sent forth his Son, made of a woman, made under the law. It was this Jesus that came. And when Jesus came, he came in Bethlehem as a loaf of bread baked in Mary's oven, the bread of life. He came into the house of bread, and it was this Jesus who spent a few years in Egypt and then went to the city of Nazareth and spent 18 years. In the veins of this Jesus, uh, when he was a baby, was one pint of the most precious commodity the world had ever seen, more precious than diamonds and gold and all those wonderful things that we love to wear. In his veins, the most precious commodity. When he was 12 and he confounded the elders, in his veins were flowing four and a half pints of the most precious commodity the world had ever seen. By the time he comes down to the river to be baptized of John in chapter number 1 of the book of uh, John, verse 29, 
The Bible says, when John said, behold the Lamb of God that takes away the sins of the world, flowing in the veins of that full six foot two adult, was 12 and a half pints of the most precious commodity the world would ever know. It was this Jesus who preached to uh, the, the, the needy. He preached to the poor. He, he opened blind eyes. He healed the sick. He caused those that were lame to walk. He touched the dead. He healed the lepers. It was this Jesus that walked on water for three and a half years. And during those three and a half years, there was a, a diabolical, sinister uh, 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 act to try to, to accuse him, which they did. And they arrested him and beat him to, towards an inch of his life and hung him on a cross where he shed 12 and a half of the most precious pints of blood that the world has ever known. And the devil thought he had him and the devil thought he had him bound. But this Jesus, the Bible says this Jesus, when they buried him, he ascended, Ephesians chapter number 4, into the heavens. But before he ascended into the heavens, the Bible says he descended first into the lower parts of the earth. The reason he went there, he went to paradise. And he began to preach to those that were prisoners of hope. And he said to Abel, I am the one that you represented. Your older brother killed you like the flesh has tried to destroy me. He spoke to Noah and said to Noah, he said, that ark that you built was me. The three levels, that was me. You saved the world, that was me. He said to Abraham, he said, when you tried to kill Isaac and, and the spirit said, don't do that. You were actually enacting my father and I. He spoke then to Isaac and to Jacob and preached to all. He said, Joseph, all your persecution, that was me, Joseph. And then he said to Moses and all of those, Aaron, he said, you were the priest, that was me. He said, when you carried that blood, you were representing me. When you laid your hands on that goat and you pronounced the sins of Israel and transferred the sins of a whole nation by the laying on of hands, I was that goat. He said, I was the brazen altar and the lever, the candlesticks, the table of showbread, the altar of incense, the veil, and the tabernacle. I was the tables of stone that the law was written in. I was Aaron's rod that budded. I was the golden pot of manna. He said, everything you see in the Old Testament, that was me. But that was the shadow of things to come. I'm the man. And then when he preached to those prisoners of hope, he went to the devil and said, bring those keys here. And snatch those keys and open the, the pit and let the prisoners of hope free. And the Bible says in the city of Jerusalem, that day the saints began to appear in the city. So here comes Gogo Sarah and Rachel and Rebecca and come Leah. Here comes Deborah and here comes Barak and Jephthah and Samuel and, and David dancing down Kingdom Boulevard. Solomon with his wisdom crown, prisoners of hope. The devil thought he had them bound, but they could not be bound as prisoners of hope. The devil is a liar and so is his mother-in-law our hope is built on nothing less than jesus and his righteousness the second category of prisoners with with hope that's you and i born again believers sisters and brothers 41 years ago at the age of 16 i became a christian drawn from a Muslim background I walked into a girl guide hall where a preacher that was saved in Austin, Texas out of a drug addiction 
preached the word of God and I was touched as a 15, 16 year old boy. Walked down to the altar and gave my heart to the Lord. He filled me with the Holy Ghost. I was baptized in his name. That day I became a prisoner of hope. I sing my song. Amazing grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. Sisters and brothers, I'm saved by the power of Jesus. He broke every chain. He broke every chain. I'm free by the power. I heard the songwriter say, there's power in the blood of Jesus. What can wash away my sins? Nothing but the blood. Before tonight's up, I'm going to preach this word to somebody. I want the devil to know I'm a prisoner of hope. My hope is built on nothing less than Jesus and his righteousness. Victory in Jesus, my Savior forever. I see a crimson stream of blood. It flows from Calvary. I'm washed in the blood. The chains have fallen off my head. My eyes have been opened. I once was lost, but now I'm found. Was blind, but now I see. I'm on my way to a heaven to gain. For me to live is Christ, to die is gain. No system, no devil, no witchcraft, no sangoma, no curse, no wizard, no witch coven, no black magic, white magic, voodoo can hold me back. I'm a prisoner of hope. Free at last. Free at last. Thank God Almighty. I'm free. Give three people a high five and say I'm a prisoner of hope. Baby, I'm on my way. Had it not been for the grace of God, thank God for His grace. I'm saved by the power, filled with the Holy Ghost. There's fire! Fire! You better not get too excited, amen. Because you might have to name that boy Triumph, amen. Give the Lord a praise because you believe. Shut up, devil. I'm a prisoner of hope. I had no name. I have a name. I was in darkness. He called me out of darkness into marvelous light. I'm saved by the incorruptible word of God. I live by faith. And with that faith, I please God. Faith then comes by hearing. And hearing comes by the word of God. I say to the mountain, you better get out of my way. Because I'm a prisoner of hope. Tell that beautiful person next to you, I'm a prisoner of hope. My God, I feel my swagger coming on now. I feel my swagger coming on now. I'm a prisoner of hope. Devil, you better get out of my face because I'm a prisoner of hope. In my name, you shall cast out devils. In my name, you shall lay hands on the sick. You'll take up serpents. You'll speak with new tongues. I'm a prisoner of hope. Therefore, there's no condemnation to them that are in Christ Jesus. I'm a prisoner of hope. 
clap your hands if you were a prisoner of hope. Henry, did you see my boots, Henry? <laughs> Amen. I'm going to show you my boots, Henry. Amen. You'll be proud of me, son. The third category of prisoners of hope are those that are yet to be saved. Person that's going to give their heart to the Lord this week. The Bible declares that all over the world, the world will be filled with the glory of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. Brothers and sisters in Beaumont, Texas, all over the world, a revival is breaking out. In the most unlikely places, the Spirit of God is visiting. There's a revival in India and in China, in Africa, South America, and right up in here in Beaumont, Texas. God doesn't need permission from any devil to move where he wants to move. In fact, devil, you're going to hell. You can go to hell right now as far as I'm concerned. You're a prisoner without hope. But God is sending his spirit to your family. You got a son in prison. You got a daughter on crack. You got a child. You don't even know where they are. There's people that have backslidden, but there's a power of God emanating from this place tonight. That's going to go out and God's going to draw prisoners without hope. And they'll be touched by the power of God. For we know that he was a high priest touched by the feeling of our infirmities. And because he understands what we go through, we can come to the throne of grace with boldness and ask him for grace to help in time of need. So in an anointing like this, you can pray a prayer and God will hear your prayer. Hear my cry, O Lord. Attend unto my need when you feel the anointing. Let the power of God touch a prisoner without a hope in your family. Tonight is a night for families. Tonight God's going to touch the most unlikely person in the most unlikely place. They could be in a strip joint. They could be sitting on a bar stool. They could be throwing back a few Jack Daniels and a few Budweiser's with a truck with a gun rack there. But God's about to save somebody tonight by the power of your prayer. And they shall be prisoners of hope. Pray for your grandchildren. Pray for your children. Pray for your daughters. In this anointing, ask God to do something. He's Come on, Holy Ghost. Ask God to do something he's never done before. Close the crack house, God. Shut down that crack house. Deliver the gang bangers. Move in my family. Close the moonshine shops. I'm asking you, God, to send an anointing and change the bound and let them become prisoners of hope. Give God a praise. Tell the person next year I'm a prisoner of hope. Hallelujah. Washington, D.C., you better watch out. There's a wild woman coming to Washington, D.C., amen. Can I preach for two more minutes? All right. Let me deal now with the esoteric application, which is the metaphor uh, for, for our lives, to link the abstract, which is the theory of what I've spoken based on Scripture. Let me now make it applicable to your life. Say, I'm a prisoner of hope. hope. Say that again. Come dream. Say, I'm a prisoner of hope. hope. Uh, Shift gears just a little. 
The Bible is very clear on certain things. I don't need a glass, Bill. Okay. <laughs> Say, thy kingdom come. Say, thy will be done. Say that again. The Bible says in Luke 17, the kingdom of God is within you. Now, here's the principle. Here's the principle. When the kingdom of God that's in you, Ryan, begins to manifest, say, thy kingdom come. Come on, rub it. It'll say, thy kingdom come. Say, son, when the kingdom of God begins to come in you, that's the only time that wills can be done. So a lot of times the reason people don't get something happening in their life is because their kingdom destiny is locked inside as a prisoner without hope. But Kara, when the kingdom of God really begins to manifest in your life, then wills start being done. You'll find that the councilman or the congressman or the senator or somebody that's serving in the bank, suddenly their will starts being bent to your kingdom coming. Yeah, baby, the devil is a liar. So when the kingdom begins to come, I don't care what kind of a building you have to build, what kind of a house you have to live in, what kind of a car you got to drive. I don't care what kind of clothes you have to wear, what kind of jet you have to fly. When the kingdom begins to manifest, will start being done. That's why you got to unlock your destiny. Unlock what you feel God is saying for you. God is sending you to D.C. The kingdom's coming. Now watch wills begin to line up in your life. Devil, don't mess with me tonight. My God, I'm about to punk some devil because wills are about to be done in my life. Shout thy kingdom come. See, many years ago, I was telling my dad. My dad's passed away now. It's almost three years. I used to tell my dad all the time, Dad, you've got to write a book. You've got to write a book. You've got to write a book. And we got a few people around him to help him write that book. He never wrote the book. He never did. He wrote a few lines and got a little discouraged. He never wrote a book. So when my dad died, his book died with him. That book is a prisoner without hope. That book will never be written. We're going to write one to honor him, in honor of him. But the autobiography, that's it. We won't be able to get that documentary out from the grave. That book is a prisoner without hope. I can fast and pray and go to that grave and try to get some thoughts and insights. I'll never be able to get and extract what was in that old man. That book is gone forever. The books he should have written, the productions he should have made, the places he should have gone, the things he could have accomplished without money, you can do it by faith. Those things are gone forever. Prisoners without hope. And I look across this august assembly this evening and I see people with immense potential people that have big cities and you're sitting in a small village mentality don't allow what is in you to be locked up don't allow Willie that book Henry where's your book you should have written that thing a long time ago the books you have to write the music you have to put on on CD or on thumb drive amen the children you have to help around the world Some of you should have been millionaires a long time ago, but you're waiting for a decision. You're waiting for flowers and and, uh, some big July 4th uh, fireworks day. Are you crazy? Don't sit here and die. Get up and release what's in you. You're a woman of destiny. You should have started that company a long time ago. You should have been a multi-millionaire three times over. You're a prisoner of hope. Unlock what I feel like preaching in here. 
When you see your kids like Moses was identified as a boy that was a proper child, lay hands on those kids when they're early. Tell them where they're going to go, what they're going to be, how they'll do it. Don't let them die as prisoners without hope. Shout three times, I'm a prisoner of hope. Now give him some praise if you can. Twenty-four years ago, I was standing outside the, uh, I was standing outside the uh, Greek Orthodox Church reception hall. I just performed a wedding a few hours early. No way. Uh, so I'm standing there waiting for the reception. Chichi was looking after. I think we had one and a half kids back then. And so, and so I was waiting for the bride and the groom to arrive. And a young man came to me. And he said to me, he said, he said to me, Pastor B, uh, if I married a girl in the church, who do you think it should be? I saw, you know, I mean, I was just, you know. Uh, being a little Tudorish and, you know. And I began to name a few girls. I named one lady there, Sister Sinclair. She was 80 years old. <laughs> I was just being goofy. And then he named a young lady to me. He named a young lady. And, and like, like the rock, with intrigue, I raised my right eyebrow. <laughs> and so I said, well, why don't you go for it? So the next day, the Sunday, I in particular took note. He went and spoke to this young lady. And she knew who he was and said, can I take you for coffee? And she was like, in, 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 in British style, no, 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 oh, no. And so he said, no, it's no problem, you know. I mean, it's no problem. So he asked her the next week. And the next week, two weeks, three weeks, the next month, two months, three months, four months. By this time, she knew that she was being pursued. <laughs> she knew. She knew that this young man, and he was a clean brother. He was a soldier. He was actually in the Air Force. Highly intelligent, brilliant man. Proper, good family. Managed his finance well, a man of integrity. He used to pray with me early in the mornings many times. We had some interesting ministry things. He became a pastor, and he was still asking one year, two years, three years, four years, five years. I feel like I'm at an auction. Six years, <laughs> seven years, eight years. Keep on asking her. Keep on asking her. Nine years. He came to do uh, Air Force deal here in Biloxi. Uh, he, he was such a high-quality individual. The American Air Force paid for him in full to study in Biloxi and went to Pensacola during some of the revivals there. And then he went to China and spent a year there because he's such a high-quality, brilliant man. And he would keep on writing to her. And then, of course, emails came into to the picture. Started sending her emails. And it was like 10 years, 11 years, 12 years, 13 years, 14 years. Can I hear 15 over here? <laughs> 16 years. By now, he's been pastoring the church for almost 14, 15 years. And so there was a lady in his church. And he said to this lady, you know, uh, fell in love with her and said, will you marry me? And, and, and so she said she would. Four days before this wedding, this young lady heard that he was marrying another girl and phoned him and said, I'll marry you. It's like, girl, are you tripping? What you been smoking? Are you crazy? He married this other lady after 18 years. Married this other lady. And it was in that short period of time that they told his wife that she could not have children she was like a couple of years too late. Now, here's my take on this thing. What, what would that situation have been 
if this young lady had said in the beginning, let's work it out. She waited 18 years and 11 months to say yes. And, and our son TJ got an asthma attack the other day when he was at home. And he drove himself to the emergency room. And she was there as the, as the, the matron supervising the emergency thing. And she was there. She looked old. Her hair was matted. She was bent out of shape. She looked as mad as a hornet that was stirred up. She was just everything but the right thing. Angry with life. You know why? A prisoner without hope. You see people that are so angry and stewed up. There's something in them that they should have done that they haven't done. And they hate you because you're doing it. The devil is a liar. Baby, don't hate when I'm in Paris. Don't hate when I'm kissing Chi-Chi on the Eiffel Tower. Don't hate when I'm shopping in Dubai. Are you hear what I'm saying? Don't hate when I get my pedicure, my manicure, and I get my afro like Don King. Can you hear what a brother's saying up in here? Don't let what God has promised you die. I don't know what you're waiting for. The man you're supposed to marry has been sitting here for five years. If I were you, I'd go sit on his lap right now and say, I'm not leaving here until you marry me. That's the first time I got a smile out of you, amen. Because we want music to play. We want chariots to come. A white st- we want Steven Spielberg, Spielberg to say action. You can make your own action, baby. Amen. Get yourself a triple espresso and get the program going on. If it is to be, it's up to you. Do that thing. Start that business. Go to the next level. Preach to your neighbor. Go and see the bank manager. Find a piece of land. Build that house. Buy a Mercedes, drive a BMW, get a haircut, get a pedicure, but do something. Don't die a prisoner without hope. I'm a prisoner of hope. I'm a prisoner of hope. I'm a prisoner of hope. Build the next building. Build a church in Washington, D.C. Send Obama a letter. Tell him he needs God. Let him come to your church. Pray for him. Someone shout, I'm a prisoner of hope. Shout, I'm a prisoner of hope. Let me finish. I have one minute left. I have one minute left. Show them, dream. Show them. Show them. Stand up. Amen. Show them. Just wave it. Show them. Amen. One minute left. Amen. I'm a prisoner of hope, Willie. Can any good thing come out of Africa? Can any good thing come out of Nazareth? It's not about a good thing. It's not even about Nazareth. It's about coming out, baby. You got to come out, Diana Ross. I'm coming out. Because if the first one comes out, the next one is easy to come out. The first million dollars is the most difficult to make. But once you've made the first million, the next one's following, baby. The first book is the most challenging book to write. But once the first one comes out, you'll find that there's six, seven, eight. I was with a man the other day. He's written 400 books. The most difficult now was him was the first one. And now he's writing a book a month. It's just amazing what happens when the first thing comes out. The first baby is the most difficult to have. But after that, you left 10. You're not doing any work. What you mean? No. Oh, these modern men. Amen. Getting morning sickness and all. It's a weak generation. Amen. <laughs> 
It's that first degree that's hard to get. But once you get the first one, a master's is easier and a PhD becomes easier still. Are you listening to me, somebody? I'm a prisoner of hope and I've made up my mind in the short years I have left for my life. I'm going to do everything with all my might that God has called me to do. And when God has put great friends around me as he's done in my life, it makes it easier to go to the next level. So devil, watch it. In the next 21 days, heaven's about to open over this place and miracles are breaking out everywhere. There'll be testimonies everywhere. God's about to make a transfer in your life that's unexpected for your life because I'm a prisoner of hope and being a prisoner of hope, my hope is built in the destiny God has given me. And in the next few years, you'll see my name and you'll hear of what God has done in my life in an incredible way. This is the day that the Lord has made. I will rejoice and be glad in it for I'm a prisoner of hope and no weapon formed against me shall be able to prosper. I'm a prisoner of hope. The power of God is working in my life to break every chain, break every chain. It's the power. Oh, I'm done. Amen. Yeah, yeah. I'm done. Stand with me as I pray for you. I want to give you one biblical example. Sit down. Amen. I thought I was done. Amen. I went up all those keys and I'm not done. I'll just talk you through this in two minutes. In two minutes. There are two biblical examples I could give you. The first one is in Numbers, chapter number 13. They come to the promised land, and they can see it. The Jordan River is so small. I mean, this little Trinity River here is bigger than the Jordan, right? I mean, we've been there. And so I, I couldn't figure out how these folks couldn't cross over. Because usually a mindset is separated sometimes by a thin membrane. Just a thin membrane. It's amazing to me, Neil, that in one family, all have the same, they have the same parents, eat the same food, went to the same school, go to the same church. How that in one family you can have one that's totally diametrically opposite to the other. Quite amazing. And so, most of the people believe the report from 10 people that who had a small mindset, prisoners without hope. Said, we can't do it. We have grasshoppers in our sight. Walls, giants, they all told the truth. But they were prisoners without hope. And they transmitted that feeling to all those in the camp that said, we're not doing it. Two men said, we are more than able to take this land. Let's go up at once. In chapter 14, after they cried all night long, Lionel Richie, all night long they cried. <laughs> Bible says that next day they said, let's go. God said, you can't go. He said, everyone that's over the age of 20, if you're 21 and above, you're not going in. In the next 40 years, you'll die. For every day the spies are in the land, you're done. Everyone 21 years and over were prisoners without hope. There's nothing they could do to change God's mind. Moses couldn't pray them in. Moses, a great intercessor, couldn't do it. They were done. If your birthday was today, you turned 21 today, and God made the announcement tomorrow, you missed it by a day. If your birthday was the next day, you made it by a day. Now, here's the deal. 
For all those that were told you're not going in, prisoners without hope. There's nothing you can do to get in. They just knew between now and 40 years, I'm going to die. It's just the day, the year, and the day. All those that were 20 years and under, all those who were 20 years and under, suddenly they recognize we're prisoners of hope. We have immunity against death. If a snake bites me, I ain't dying. If I get bitten by a scorpion and, and infected by some sort of a spider or some sort of a flu bug or a virus or some sort of measles, chicken pox or anything, I ain't dying. Because I'm a prisoner of hope. God gave me a promise. It may be 40 years away. I'm 20 years old today and the promise is 40 years away. From that day, that whole generation, the aging process was suspended. Because God was going to need them strong and young to take cities. Prisoners of hope. I don't know how far your promise is. But don't lose sight of that promise. Because you've got 39 years left. And it's 35 years left. Don't become angry and bitter when you see your relatives dying that refuse to go in. Focus on what God has set for you. I have now 25 years left. 20 years left. I'm, I'm over the halfway mark now. I made it. I made it for the last 20 years. I got 20 years left, 15, 10, five years. And then it's a year left. And I start telling folks, next year, this time, we're eating grapes. We're drinking milk. We're going to live in houses we didn't build and wells we didn't dig. We're drawing fresh water from. We're going to walk into, into, into vineyards that we didn't even plant. A year left, six months. Can I hear seven days? Next week this time, we're crossing over. And then the day finally arrives for 39 years, 364 days. Tomorrow this time, as a prisoner of hope, I grab my blessing. I'm a prisoner of hope. What do you want from God? What do you want? Ask the person next to you, what do you want? Most people don't know what they want. People say things, I want God to bless me. That's too generic. That's foolish, in fact. Foolish. Foolish. This is what I want. Amen. I want, I want a, a, an orange Mercedes Benz. An S63 burnt orange Mercedes Benz. I'm also eccentric, you know. Amen. Who's bad now, Michael? Hee hee. Thirty years ago, I had a vision of a building. We'll see 10,000. We're going to take Bishop to the land. We're going to start building that thing this year. And it's an immaculate building. It's going to be incredible. Thirty years ago, 30 years ago, when I was a little boy, five years old, Harry Belafonte was singing, uh, Down the way where the lights are gay. I left a little girl in Kingston town. As a little boy. I knew I'd go to Jamaica. I've been there 17 times. The first time I went to Jamaica is what I saw as a five-year-old boy, a prisoner of hope. This church has been a catalyst for my life. This church has opened pathways that I had no idea would open. I knew they would, but I didn't know that God would use this couple on the front to open doors. Many, many, many of the platforms that I've been on, many of them have come as a result of this church. Because what happens is when God begins to bless a person, he bring them into a cluster of people that are prisoners of hope. And I refuse to die. I shall live and not die to, to work the fruit and the commandments of the Lord. You're sitting here. You're a prisoner of hope. You're a prisoner of hope. 
Randon, everything that's in your heart to do, you and Lindsay do it. Do it all your might. Because you're serving a God that will do exploits. You build that thing, it will be way beyond your craziest dream. Beyond your craziest dream. Beyond your craziest dream. Apostle came to me in London three years ago and put an offering in my hand. I didn't know him. This quiet, unassuming individual. His first name is David. He's a Nigerian from Port Harcourt, Kwebe. And he said, and you pray for me. I did. And, and then I was told what he's doing. He, his building will be finished now in the, next, in the next few months. He's building seats, 100,000. Just the foundation cost him $14.5 million. The whole project is going to be $121 million. Just a little guy, prison of hope. Prison of hope. So the business in you, get it done. Stand with me, let me pray for you. We were just kids when we started. We had no sense. We just, we didn't have any sense. Chichi and I were just kids when God called us to do what we're doing. And along the way, you meet people that have faith in you, believe in you, invest in you, as is the case here. The prison of hope. Remember when I first started flying? I would use every toilet, eat every peanut, drink every drink, watch every movie. It used to be fun. It's not the way now. Because when you start doing what God has called you to do, it's quite amazing. I want you to raise your right hand. Say after me, I'm a prisoner of hope. Father, every hand that's raised, every hand that's raised, I pray that tonight the prayers that were prayed, they'd be answered. The destinies in people would be released. The power of God would be activated. For every person that is in prison, I pray that you'd open their prison bars, doors right now, and release them. Say, I'm a prisoner of hope. Put your hand down. Paul and Silas were in jail. The jail couldn't hold them because they were prisoners of hope. Peter was in jail. Jail couldn't hold him. He's a prisoner of hope. John the Baptist was in jail. He was a prisoner without hope. He was a prisoner without hope. He was a prisoner without hope. When he was beheaded, he went to paradise, and that's where he was set free. But here he was doomed. Brothers and sisters, wherever you are, in the next seven days, you are going to write down what you want God to do. What do you want God to do, sir? What do you want God to do? What is it? Don't say, bless me. No, you've got to be more specific. Don't just go to D.C. meandering. What kind of a house do you want, Christian? I'm not looking at him. He'll live anywhere. What kind of a house do you want? You want so many bedrooms for your kids. Because when God's kingdom is being done, the world starts lining up. In 1985, 1988, no, it was 85, I met a man in Houston. He was just kind to me. He had me preaching in a meeting like this, and he asked me to come stay by his house for a few days. He used to be a soldier in Vietnam. He used to be a soldier in Vietnam. He was selling drugs there, and he, last year he, was, he got hooked on the drugs he was selling. When he came out of Vietnam, 
He came back with four bags like this, army bags full of money, $100 bills. Of course, he paid the guys that were in the system. He landed in Houston. He was so blown out of his mind on the drugs he was taking. And he was walking through the streets of Houston in, a, in a, some sort of a cab, blown out of his mind, and he prayed this prayer. He said, God, if you will deliver me from these drugs, I'll serve you. And, and a word came in his spirit. He went to a church and took those four bags of money and left them in a church. When he stumbled out of that place, there was no taxi, so he just walked and walked. He said when he woke up the next morning, he was totally delivered from drugs. But he could not remember the church. He left those four bags of money. <laughs> that was God. That was God. Couldn't remember. Because God took the drugs out and took the memory of where he was. A church got a blessing to wherever they had to go. And, and when I met him, he, he had been on his way to become a multimillionaire in Houston. Owned half of the houses on Eisenhower Street. He owned a 60-story building downtown in Houston. And what happened was, as is your case, a little Jewish woman that helped him. She helped him. She taught him how to be a realtor. It's a little Jewish woman. Said, I don't even know who you are, but I like you. I'm going to help you. And God's going to send you somebody that likes you. You just got to, I like you face. I like you. And it's not going to be compassion. Don't think that they're doing it because they're feeling sorry for you. It's because God sent them to open the door for you. And you're going to walk in an unusual favor. It's unusual honeymoon favor. It's unusual. Amen. Brandon, come with your family. Let me pray for you. Bishop, I'm going to pray first. What do you want me to do? Be, being an apostolic gift, he's fine. You have seen yourself when you were like that. Oh, God, amen. Uh, be, being an apostolic gift is a very difficult one. There are some guys that just get up in the morning and the apostolic gift work. That wasn't my case. I started off as an evangelist. I didn't even know what that meant because I used to preach quite loud and swinging from ropes and stuff like that. And our church was full enough. I was just an evangelist. I started preaching all over Africa as a little evangelist. Then I became the pastor. I was ordained at 23, 1980. Too young. Didn't know that then. And then I started pastoring the church, just kids. And then I thought God had left me because... I, I couldn't preach anymore. I couldn't. I just, I couldn't preach. I tried. I tried. Couldn't preach. I was going through a time of being a pastor. I was doing pastoral. And then I went into a teaching vein for about six years. In February 1990, the prophetic gift hit me. It sat on me for about five years. And then I came to Triumph. And, and while I was at a conference here, Richard Hurd came here to pick me up. Sister Ray had organized for me to preach for him. That was September 97. And the next morning, Richard Hurd spoke to me in his office. He said to me, you, you are an apostle. I was like, I'm not an apostle. I didn't even know what that meant. See, and at that conference, there were some things that Bishop Clark had said that began to tie up some of the things. So, so you're running your lane. You run your lane. You've got great examples in your world. But, but uh, for me... I had to go through all those schools so that I can become the 
continental and global apostle that I have become and, and give guidelines to many individuals that uh, in terms of their work is way ahead of what we're doing. But there's this unusual wisdom that kicks in from time to time in certain places. But that would not have happened by not being through the whole school. Some guys are just apostles. They've never gone through the other disciplines. That's on your life. So you have to be patient with it because God, there's too much in you, son, for it not to go right. Okay? You got a prophet you're raising over here and you're raising kids over here and that's a full-time job. This is bigger than the church right here. But, but it's a journey. It's a journey. God is kind. Yeah, sometimes when we come off the freeway, we take the wrong exit. But God's GPS will get you back on the freeway. You're going to be fine. You're going to do great things. You're going to do phenomenal things. Because the time's going to come in your life when God's going to give you episcopus, which is tremendous oversight. Where you are and where your dad was at the same age are just different levels. And, and the glory of what God is doing in your life is so phenomenal. And so don't be intimidated when there's no miracles. There's not, there's not supposed to be. Not supposed to be because God is growing you. God gives the miracle. See, God gives the miracle. I have the gift and have healed many people. But, but God is not working with that in your life. He's building you from inside out. Building you from inside out. Now, when you're ready, when it's close, all those things start kicking in. Start kicking in. So you got to know what you want. What do you want? What do you want? What do you want? Have you been to South Bend, Indiana? I know you haven't been to South Bend, Indiana. I've been there. I preached for Willie Coates, but one of the reasons I went there, I went to go see what Lester Summerall was doing. There's Lester Summerall in South Bend. I don't even think it's bigger than Beaumont. I think it's half the size of Beaumont. But when I went there to see what Lester Summerall was doing, he had a ship. Brother from South Bend had a ship. I mean, there's no river in South Bend. How's a brother going to have a ship in South Bend? Television program. Went around the world. Has, has built phenomenal sons. He tells a story of how he spoke of the devil face to face and told the devil, oh, it's you. From South Bend. From South Bend. And the same kind of thing's going to start developing in your life. There's an authority in your life. An authority. It's always been there. God has sent you some tremendous help. I pray for God's blessing on your life. I pray that you come into a season with all kinds of with all kinds of breakthroughs from property to open doors. There are promises of God's visitations in your life. They'll unfold in time. It's a prelude to what's coming. They will unfold. You just walk the lane. You walk it now. You're more blessed than most people because of these two sitting right here. And us standing on the platform. We're here for you. We command a blessing on these kids. name of Jesus. There's no pain like the pain of your child being afflicted. There's no pain like that. There's no pain like that. There's no pain like that. But it's important that you go through it. One of the pastors on my staff's baby died a few months ago, a few years ago. Horrible. And then he and his wife had a second baby. And it's about 14 months ago. The child was crawling through the house and tripped on a, uh, was crawling and tripped on the cord and a 
kettle of boiling water fell on the child. Horrible. Micah was in, in, in hospital for many, many months. There's nothing you can do. And so what they'd have to do for that child, I went there one time, it tore me to pieces. When the pus starts forming on those bad things, they have to scrub the pus out. And that man and that woman are going places, I'm telling you, because God knows what he's doing. And so he'll be fine. That's your little man right there, right here. That's your businesswoman right here. So proper. Father, I command the blessing on this apostle of God, his lovely wife. Thank you for putting them together and adding value in their lives. Come on, Judith. I pray for the blessing on their lives. Great blessing. Great blessing. Great blessing. Great blessing. Great blessing. God is adding your responsibilities. He's adding to your responsibilities. He's teaching you how to manage on a big level. His episcopus on a big level. On a big level. You need to take time from time to time. You know, fly to Phoenix. Your dad knows Tommy Barnett. Just spend a few days there taking notes, learning. You know, go to T.D. Jakes' place. Dream went there. Just take a few notes. There's a few folks we know. Sit weekend, you know, a couple of days with Kirby John. We can arrange stuff like that. Your dad and we know some folks. And you go learn how to manage on that level. Right now, you have to start managing multi-million dollar budgets on that level. Because you have to create millionaires here. Right here. You have to create them. Right here. The Lord bless you, son. And God bless the entire leadership of this great church. Thank you for having me today. They bless my heart and change my life. Tonight we get to enjoy a message that changes our lives. And um, I've received greatly. I have received greatly tonight. Thank you for the prophetic word that is released. Thank the Lord. Why don't we give like prisoners of hope? A prisoner without hope is not going to give anything. But when you're a prisoner of hope, it's fun to give. It's easy to give. You give with hope, with faith. You look forward to it. So we're going to get ready to, be, to give like prisoners of hope tonight. You know, um, about a week from now, or a little more, we'll be with Bishop Tudor in Harare. And uh, we're going to get to walk on the ground where they're building a 10,000-seat auditorium to the glory of the Lord. And, uh, you know, I thought 
that it's time tonight for us to start sowing into that project. I really think it's time tonight. And uh, so we're just going to count this as our first seed uh, as into the 10K project they're doing, uh, raising up a building to the glory of God in that great nation, in that capital city of Harare. So let's make this our first gift, unrestricted, of course, but this is our first gift uh, toward uh, that project. And there's going to be many more after tonight, but let's make this our first, all right? Please use your offering envelope. And uh, if you want to use your bank card, of course, you already should know how to do that. Uh, if you're a guest, uh, everything you give tonight is going to go to this man of God and the work he's doing around the world, literally around the world. And uh, so please get your best gift ready. might have been some of these awaiting for you when you got here. I think so. They're out in the foyer. Bring them in and let's pass them out. Bishop Tudor and Pastor Chichi began their national prayer summit at Triumph Sugarland tomorrow night at 7 o'clock. Services are in the evening at 7, Monday, Tuesday, and Wednesday. And then during the day, they begin at 10 o'clock a.m. until 3 o'clock. Uh, registration for day participants, the nights are open. And uh, we have, you probably got an email from us, and, and um, we've been trying to let you know about this so you could arrange to get off of work and do all the things it takes. But I want to remind you, we're starting tomorrow night at 7 o'clock, Triumph Sugarland, and I hope that you'll be there. And uh, I'd like for you to be there every minute of it. I can tell you that last year's summit was the, the highest quality of teaching on prayer I've ever heard in my life. It was awesome. Um, it's, it's a teaching um, it is deep, it is rich, of the same quality we've heard tonight. And I can't wait to get there, and I hope that you'll come over and be with us. Um, if you haven't been to Triumph Sugarland, from this building to that building, is hardly an hour and 40, 45 minutes. Uh, and uh, we'd love for you to come over and be with us. It'll be a great blessing. Uh, but anyway, I, gave, I brought the, the uh, handbills so you could get registered online or just come over and register out the door. Uh, so Bishop Tudor will be preaching Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday night, and then during the day from 10 to 3. It'll be a huge blessing to you uh, if you'll come over, so don't forget that. Father, I thank you that I am a prisoner of hope. I'm not walking in fear, doubt, and unbelief, and there's no dread on my life. There's no worry about tomorrow or concern about my future because you are my future, and I'm a prisoner of the hope that I have in you. I thank God for the wonderful people here tonight that lift up generous, loving gifts of faith because they too are prisoners of hope. I thank you, Lord, for the prophetic gift that has been released tonight to release in us the potential, the possibility, the destiny that you have placed in us. I speak a blessing on the people of God who give tonight. May they be blessed, 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 and may every dollar they give come back to them many times more. In Jesus' name. And everyone say amen.
Well, I can feel an engine turning. I think I got my engine cranked tonight. How many of you got your engine cranked? You ready to go somewhere? All right, let's stand together. God bless each of you so very much. Thank you for being here with us. May the Lord bless you and keep you. May He be gracious to you. Make His face shine upon you and give you peace. I pray that goodness and mercy would follow you all the days of your life. That your steps would be ordered of the Lord. And God would open doors before you. And cause the heavens to open and rain opportunity out on you for the things He's called you to. I bless you all in the name of Jesus. And I thank you for being here tonight. Celebrate Jesus all week long.